0: Hi again, Nathaniel Miner here. It's been nearly two years since we released an episode of Since Columbine. We didn't plan to update this podcast feed again, but this week, 10 people died in a shooting just 30 miles from Columbine at a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado. It's been a really difficult couple of days. as we learned more about what happened and especially more about the victims. We also checked in with Columbine survivors like former principal Frank DeAngelis. He's become a resource for survivors of mass shootings across the world in the last 22 years. And I wanted to share this conversation with you because it really shows what a community and what victims' families, what they really go through after a mass shooting like the one in Boulder. He spoke with my colleague Ryan Warner about how new mass shootings like Boulder this week bring him straight back to April 1999. He was actually at Columbine preparing for next month's memorial service when his phone started to light up. You know, you're in my thoughts and prayers. Uh, Someone
1: from Arizona reached out and said, Frank, are you following what's happening in Boulder? I said, what's happening in Boulder? This happens all the time. My phone, you're in my thoughts and prayers. If you need anything, let me know. And usually. Within five to 10 minutes, I start getting calls from media. And so I'm sitting at the library at Columbine High School when all this is coming to me. And I'm trying to listen to everything that's going on in the meeting because we're talking about what we're going to do on April 20th this year. And my heart is just racing. Needless to say, uh, 22 years later, almost 22 years later, it took me right back and When I started watching some of the footage, I couldn't help but be taken back to April 20th, you know, Littleton, Colorado, 1999, because I saw those family members of people outside just looking in the store, wondering if their loved ones were going to come out. It reminded me of the parents that were standing down at Leewood Elementary. I saw the law enforcement agents who were there, the paramedics who were there, people on the roof. And it took me back, you know, to those days and all of a sudden, you know, I'm not looking at Monday, you know, the 22nd of March, I'm looking at Tuesday, April 20th, 1999. And so
2: uh, it really triggered some emotions. And to be in the library where there had been so much loss of life at Columbine uh, adds another layer altogether. I want to circle back to what the weeks, months, and years look like after something like this in a bit, but um, you are helping lead the Colorado Healing Fund with former Colorado Attorney General Cynthia Kaufman. That fund started with seed money from the Colorado AG's office, but it's now its own nonprofit uh, established specifically to help victims of mass casualty crime in Colorado. What sorts of immediate help do you see the people closest to the attack needing?
1: Well, I look at things with these families of, as they're preparing for memorial services, for family members coming in, taking care of those needs, you know, funeral costs, things of that nature. There are so many things that they didn't have time to prepare. You know, they woke up on Monday and then all of a sudden, by the end of the day, they are in a state of shock, in a state of denial. And these families all of a sudden have to prep. And, you know, something they never planned for because most of these people that lost their lives, they were young. But all of a sudden, you're looking at uh, families uh, trying to bring family members in. You know, for example, when the first time we activated was for the STEM Academy shooting and just helping the Castile family, you know, Kendrick, who so tragically lost his life. In Highlands Ranch. Yes, at Highlands Ranch. And what could we do to bring in? So now we're looking at 10 victims. You know, what can we do to help out? And there are so many organizations that are up there right now helping with Boulder, you know, through the Boulder DA. COVA, of course, was there when Columbine and other tragedies happened. The Colorado Organization of Victim Assistance, they're all helping. And so we're waiting, working with them to see exactly what they need as these funds come in. And I think those are the immediate needs. But, you know, the thing that I shared as a member of this board, the executive board, is what are, what are they going to need in the aftermath? Mm-hmm. Because it's not all of a sudden a week from now, OK, let's go. They're going to be impacted for a long time. And in addition, something that I shared last night that I think, you know, if I could share with the listeners yeah. is the fact that it's not only the victims and their families that are being affected but also people that were witness to this. I remember Monday listening to a grandfather whose two granddaughters were in there with their dad. And these are two young girls, I think females, that witnessed this shooting and the impact that that's going to have on them. And do they have the support that they need in counseling and health and things of that nature? And so as I stated time and time again, you know, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And I think that's what the Colorado Healing Fund looks at is – not only helping with the immediate needs that are happening right now, but ongoing what it's it's gonna take for these families and for the
2: the community of Boulder. And so the Colorado Healing Fund, uh, among any number of organizations right now that is soliciting and accepting donations, I'll say just once again, this is a fund uh, that has the imprimatur of the state attorney general's office. A 2019 analysis by the Denver Post, Frank, found that Colorado has more mass shootings per capita than all but four states. I find myself as a Coloradan fielding this question on social media from friends and family. I wonder if you have an answer to it. Why Colorado? Why?
1: You know, I can't tell you the number of interviews I have conducted, and it is just amazing that that's one of the first questions they ask. And in talking to John McDonald, who is the executive director for security for Jeffco Schools, he told me today in a conversation in the state of Colorado, every 2.4 years, we have a mass tragedy that takes us to, you know, Columbine. It takes us to what we had up at Platte Canyon with Emily Key's uh, Planned Parenthood. Arapaho. Arapahoe High School STEM Academy, Aurora Theater shooting. And then we had the shooting that took place at uh, Youth with a Mission over at the Faith Christian Center up in Arvada that ended up the following day in Colorado Springs in a church.
2: That new uh, life.
1: Yes. And so these events are happening and I, I don't have the answer. And that's what I think everybody is searching for right now. And there's everyone that has the answers, but I don't think there's one set thing. And I know... When I go out and do presentations, that's one of the questions. Well, give me one thing. And I said, it's more than one thing. It's like taking a jigsaw puzzle and putting things together. And I think that's what we're trying to figure out right now. What was the motive? You know, the first place people want to go to right away is, you know, tougher gun laws, loopholes, and that's a place to start. But there's other things to look at, you know, and I worry at times when I hear schools and communities cutting counselors and social workers out. That's another piece of the puzzle. What about the role social media is playing? These are all pieces of the puzzle that we're trying to figure out. What can we do to stop these senseless deaths?
2: You mentioned that your phone started to ring and uh, give you alerts for texts right around the time the mass shooting began in Boulder. You have people reaching out from all over the country That is to say, it sounds like you really maintain relationships with people who have suffered similarly all over.
1: Most definitely. um, And there's a reason for that. Taking us back to April 20th, 1999, and the day it ended, and one of the worst things I ever had to do in my life is um, we're over at Leewood Elementary, and it's getting later in the day in what we had at that point was a reunification center. We didn't have the programs we have now in place uh, for these events because there were so many lessons learned from Columbine. But as the day went on, parents came up to me and said, Frank, have you seen my son or daughter? You know, they were in an English class and I had not. And there was a father that came up and said, Frank, we've seen yellow school buses transporting kids from Columbine down here. We haven't seen any buses for the last, you know, half hour or so. And then that's when a a grief counselor came over and something with my educational background, something I was never prepared for. Grief counselor said, Frank, you need to take these family members in and tell them that there's a good chance that their loved ones did not survive. And I can still remember as if it was yesterday, just looking at them and trying to find the words. And now I'm not wearing my principal's hat, but I'm wearing my parent hat because i had a daughter who was at a school over in highlands ranch and i'm just thinking i can't imagine getting this information you know those kids walked into the school at seven o'clock in the morning they're never coming home again and that's something i have to live with for the rest of my life i was in a state of shock but i did make a promise that there you know that night there's nothing i could do to bring back the kids and mr sanders who had lost their life uh, but I was going to do everything in my power to make sure they didn't die in vain. And, and so I do reach out to these communities. And it's not that I'm an expert, but whether it be, you know, Virginia Tech, whether it be Sandy Hook, Parkland, when I call up and said, you know, this is Frank, uh, principal at Columbine, uh, I really know what you're feeling. And it's not that I'm more important than anyone else, but I had actually been a part of that, you know, and I made a comment probably a week out after Columbine, I said, you know, I just joined a club in which no one wants to be a member. Mm. And it's unfortunate the membership continues to grow, but there's this bond. And I don't care if it's in another state. I've reached out to people in other countries that are just looking, you know, Frank, what can you tell us? And
2: yeah, I'm so, I'm so curious what the most common questions are immediately afterwards. Yeah. One of the common
1: questions, when does it get back to normal? You know, and I said, unfortunately, you know, people really believe that there's going to be this specific date. You know, for us, we just people felt, well, you know, the one year remembrance and then, you know, it's going to get this time's going to pass. And I think that's the thing that's so disheartening at times, because people feel all of a sudden they feel, geez, you know, this is the best I felt in a while. And then an event happens and they're saying, oh, my goodness, where did that come from? you know, and they're re-traumatized and and triggers are set. And I can't tell you the number of former Columbine staff that have reached out to say, boy, I don't know how you're feeling, but uh, because it took them back. And I have to believe that people that were watching, you know, the footage and the coverage, whether it be, you know, in Newtown, Connecticut or in Parkland, it's taken them back. And I'm sure the people, you know, that the survivors of the uh, Aurora Theater shooting. And I'm sure as reporters, it takes you back. I know I've talked to reporters saying, oh my gosh, it took me back to where we were for this event or that event. And it does, it re-traumatizes you.
2: You mentioned folks who were in the grocery store and survived. And I wonder if you might speak to the possibility there's survivor's guilt for some people. How real was that? after Columbine and what light might you shed?
1: That's uh, real tough for me uh, because <clears throat> if Dave Sanders would have stayed in the faculty lounge that day, I wouldn't be doing this interview. As I ran out of my office on that day, the gunman was coming towards me and these girls were unaware. They were coming out of a locker room to go to a class and they were unaware of what was happening. And all of a sudden, I knew that if I got him outside, we would be able to go over to the park to a safe place. Everything was going as planned until we I pull on the door and the door is locked. And I mean, the girls are screaming. The gunman, we hear the shots getting closer. But what I found out as I'm trying to get into the door, the gunman paused momentarily because Dave Sanders came out of the faculty lounge and he was running through the hallways to get kids shepherd kids out of the building the gunman spotted dave and had stopped momentarily turned around and shot dave through the back of the back of the head and that brief moment probably saved my life and the life of those girls and i had that day 35 keys on a key ring and i reached in my pocket and as the gunman is getting closer i stick the first key i put out of my pocket in the door and it opened it on the first try and if I was not able to do that, we probably would have all died that day. And so there's so many things saying, gosh, why did I find that key? What about these poor kids? There mm. were kids that said, you know, that day they decided not to go into the library that day. You know, I mean, if?
2: hearing you talk, it strikes me that what it results in is the kind of thinking that goes over every moment, every second, every possibility, what if— why me? What if I had been? What if there it's this, gosh, I guess this kind of perseverating that must happen about well, why the... things ended the way they did and and you just don't know, and I think you know the one
1: thing that all of the parents that lost their kids, Mrs. Sanders and uh, her daughters, Dave's daughters, you know, the one thing they said, and I'm sure that if you ask the family members, they wish they had one more time to tell them how much they love them or how much they cared and, you know, and just hold them. And I think that's the thing, you know, you had, uh, if just reading some of the stuff, you had someone going in for a COVID shot, which, you know, for people receiving a, a COVID shot right now, I mean, there are celebrations that they're getting this vaccination they're in there. And then unfortunately they lose their life. And so there's this moment of celebration and then, you know, finding out that their loved one died. I mean, it's just the emotion, it's an emotional roller coaster.
2: Are there danger signs if someone is particularly feeling the weight of the events where they should seek some sort of help? What did you learn about Columbine that might protect the people who survived and who are suffering? Unfortunately,
1: at times, we live in a society that we're supposed to be tough you know, uh, we don't need help. and, And I hope this is not the case. But back in the day, I mean, there were people that felt that if I seek counseling, it's a sign of weakness. And that's a sign of strength. And I can't tell you the number of families from Columbine who said, Frank, you were a strong proponent of getting help for our children. But our kids kept saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And they really weren't fine in their suffering now, you know, they're adults and they're struggling. And they said, we wish we would have been more persistent. And one of the things that I tell people, no one wants to be told what to do. You know, I I would not say, Ryan, man, you're screwed up. You need help. (laughs) But you're going to say, no, no one's going to tell me how to feel because you feel your life's out of control already. But if I say, gosh, Ryan, I don't know about you, man, I haven't been sleeping, you know, I'm having these reoccurring nightmares, I haven't been eating, I mean, I feel that I'm having a heart attack, and I go to the doctor, it's saying, I don't know if this will help you, but I'm talking to someone, and what I tell people all the time I love it, by the
2: way, I love that technique, right, because it isn't about something's wrong with you, it's I'm struggling, and let me bring you and invite you into that. Right. And I'm telling you, it works because right now,
1: and I see this so many times, you know, in dealing with communities and people now with the pandemic, they feel their lives are out of control. They're being told what they can do and not do and being told one more time, you need help. And when I meet with these educators that have probably had one of the toughest years in educating kids and just saying, you know, this is what helped me. And when I went in for help, and they tell me this all the time, hey, Frank, that worked for you, but I have a strong support system. I have my significant other. I have my parents, this thing. And the question I posed to them, I said, if you broke your arm, would you allow them to fix it? I said, no, Frank, that's crazy. Huh. And I said, but then why would you not? You still need, you have your family, your significant others, loved ones, but you need someone that's been professionally trained, right? I can tell you without any hesitation. If I did not have a support system in place and it was counseling and I'm a person of faith and I'm not trying to preach, but my faith served as important for me. And what I tell people when I go out, find that support system for you, whatever that may be, that is healthy. Because unfortunately there are people that their way of coping is through alcohol, through drugs and things, and that's all it's doing is enhancing the problem. And so I try to reach and, and out. And you've
2: seen that long tail in Columbine, the the years of struggling with mental health, with substances, for instance. Right. And, you
1: know, we, a few years ago, uh, we lost a young man, and he, he became a spokesperson sharing his story saying there's he was injured. And he said he got addicted to painkillers and he, you know, he was clean and he went out and told his powerful story. But unfortunately, he had a relapse and he ended up dying. And, you know, and there are so many of those students, you know, and they'll always be my kids, even though they're 38 and 39 year old adults, they'll always be my kids. And I worry about them. And one of the things that's worrying me right now and working with education, educators right now is we're seeing a rise in suicides amongst adolescents you know in this COVID, you know this pandemic is having an impact on these kids and we need to just reach out and be there for them and and unfortunately no one knows the motive for why this shooter did what he did but you know we just at times there's no words that can explain i think what we're feeling right now but as i tell people um I'm an individual. I refuse to be helpless or hopeless. I refuse to give up. I am not going to stop. I I can't.
2: Frank, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Frank DeAngelis is former principal of Columbine High School and a trustee with the Colorado Healing Fund. The nonprofit started with seed money from the state attorney general's office to support victims of mass casualty crime. It's raising money to help people affected by the attack on the King Supers in South Boulder, Monday.
0: It's really hard listening to a lot of what Frank DeAngelis said, but I also found comfort in some of the real advice he gave about seeking help and not trying to power through on your own. I spoke with some other survivors this week who said that anyone who feels grief and trauma, even if you weren't directly affected by this week's shooting, you should own that. Don't compare it to others. It's yours and it is real. We're continuing to follow this story, including profiles of the victims and survivors. Check out our work at CPR.org. And I've gone back and listened to some of the episodes in this feed, too. They, unfortunately, are still quite relevant. Thanks to my colleague Ryan Warner and Michelle Fulcher for producing that interview. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Since Columbine. I'm Nathaniel Miner.